This is Gray Area. I'm Daniel Alarcón. Here are the facts. The U.S. population is getting older, fast, and we're not prepared. So our team wanted to take a look at this from lots of different angles. When you think about who provides care for seniors, you might envision a nurse or a home health aide, but the reality is most caregivers, some 18 million Americans, are family members and friends who typically do the work for free. Take Jeffrey Levy, who cares for his wife, Martha. In this episode, we meet the Levies during a cold winter in New York when the financial challenges of caregiving forced the couple to make some hard choices. Here's producer Amara Amokwe. How's it going? Hey, where did you park? Right across the street there. When Jeffrey Levy opened the door to his Brentwood, Long Island home on the day I went to visit, I could not wait to step in. How are you? Okay, how are you? I'm doing well. You're, you want to see a typical day? You're about to see. All right. <laughs> Mara, this is my wife. Martha. Hi, Martha. How's it going? You may be able to hear it in my voice. I was really excited to be inside and out of the cold. It was January, and the northeastern U.S. had just been hit by conditions so severe, meteorologists called them the bomb cyclone. A bomb cyclone. Yes, that is an actual weather term. It's called a bomb cyclone, and it is living up to its name tonight, slamming into the east, and just look at the scope of this storm. It was freezing, and snow and ice lined Jeffrey and Martha's street. It was not a good time for them to be dealing with the problem they had on their hands. I don't get it. It stretches my imagination, and I have a decent imagination when it comes to electronics. <laughs> you, and, you and me both. That's Jeffrey talking to a repairman as they try to determine what's wrong with the home's furnace. Recently, it's been shutting off randomly during the night, leaving Jeffrey and Martha without heat. And even though Jeffrey spent many years repairing electronics for a living, neither he nor the repairman can put their finger on exactly why the furnace is acting up. The only thing that it possibly could be is that board. So yeah. it's, you know, it's just every now and again for whatever reason. The repairman's best guess is the furnace circuit board needs to be replaced. And that leaves Jeffrey and Martha with a tough question, one that's even harder to answer when your seniors living on a fixed income. What's it worth to be warm? It's a $600 repair. Now, I can get the part for 200 If I have the confidence to actually put it in, that's the whole thing. Because we're dealing with gas here. And I have no real necessary desire to blow up the house. Jeffrey is often faced with these kinds of choices. That's because he alone manages the household and takes care of Martha. It's been this way since she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, a disease that damages the nervous system. Actually, since 1988... I was her caregiver. You know, I would kind of keep track of her appointments and, you know, monitor, monitor her symptoms. At the time, she was still driving, so every once in a while I would take her out and evaluate her driving style to make sure that, you know, she was still safe to be able to drive. Things have changed a lot since then. Jeffrey's 63 now. Martha is 61. She doesn't work or drive anymore because her health challenges have gotten worse. In fact, Martha, a sizable lady who stands tall at 5'11", isn't very mobile at all these days. She can't walk without the help of a blue-wheeled device that she pushes and uses for balance. It also has a little seat for when she gets tired. What is this thing called? A rollator. A rollator. How long have you been using it? Too long. And it's not my first rollator either. But I still need one that I can sit on because I got a big butt. But you didn't hear it from me. Me too, sister. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of what Jeffrey does is find ways to keep Martha comfortable. He also makes sure she has room to push that rollator around their home. 
that can get pretty difficult because, as Jeffrey will admit, the house is pretty cluttered. Still, by now, he's at least gotten used to being a caregiver, unlike when Martha first got sick. There was never a handbook for caregivers, never anything that told you what was expected of you, what you could do, what you should not try. All of this you kind of had to learn on your own. It's easy to see how much responsibility Jeffrey carries and how seriously he takes those responsibilities. He's a big, tall guy who has a bad knee and relies on a black cane to walk, and he wears suspenders. Even though they do just an okay job of holding his pants up, they're his only choice because of colon surgery he had years ago. The operation left some discomfort in his abdomen, so Jeffrey avoids belts. But he somehow manages to move around the house pretty well and with purpose. That day, as he's talking shop with the furnace guy, he's also cleaning and prepping a meal and removing frozen dinners and cans from brown paper bags. Standing there in front of his fridge, Jeffrey begins taking stock of groceries delivered earlier that day. Well, let's see. Uh, for Wednesday night, we'll have uh, pre-made chicken cordon bleu. Not too expensive. And Especially now with the faulty furnace, money is on Jeffrey's mind. A few weeks later, Jeffrey invited me to an event in Midtown. The topic? Supporting older adults in the 21st century. When I arrived at 8.30, Jeffrey was already seated, ready to take notes with the brown pad folio and pen he'd brought with him. What was your trip like? Well, aside from the fact that I was up at 4.30 to get ready to catch a 5.58 into Manhattan, it wasn't too bad, I guess. So how did you get here? By Long Island Railroad and then a subway uptown. All right. When was the last time you were on the subway? Decades ago. I was just I was speaking with a, tra a transit authority uh, person this morning, and the last time I remember being on a subway, the subway cars were green and had the TA on them. They weren't the MTA. They were still the New York Transit Authority, and the hot windows were round. Events like these are right up Jeffrey's alley. He's always trying to learn more about the issues, financial and otherwise, that caregivers experience. And when he can, he tries to get FaceTime with policymakers and advocates to share his views on how caregivers could be better supported. My name is Liz Kruger, and I want to welcome you all to this roundtable discussion. New York State Senator Liz Kruger organized the event, which featured a panel of researchers, experts, and leaders from agencies that serve seniors. About 70 people sat in the audience as the panelists traded ideas on an issue Kruger described as a crisis. Are we ready for the older adults of the 21st century? The answer is no. Do we have enough programs, services, people being trained to be in the pipeline to work on these issues and work on behalf of, of older Americans in the 21st century? The answer is no. Kruger and the event itself focused on the shortage of professionals who get paid to work with seniors. But the reality is the majority of caregiving for the aging in our country looks more like Jeffrey and Martha's situation. The care is provided informally and usually goes unpaid, a fact one roundtable audience member uh, argued not, should have been highlighted like more during the event's really. discussion. And it was, I think, 45 minutes before the term family caregiver was mentioned, and I think it needs to be a much bigger part of this whole dialogue. It's a good point. According to AARP, about 40 million Americans are unpaid caregivers for an adult relative or friend, and a little more than half of those caregivers are aged 50 and older themselves. I want to thank our 
um, our speakers. Round After table. the roundtable, I asked Beth Finkel. I'm the state director for AARP New York. About these vast numbers of unpaid informal caregivers and what we're doing about them. We know 10,000 people turn 65 in this country every single day. Right. And we know people are living longer. So what's going to happen there? We're we're, we're looking at the bumping up of uh, resources against supply and the need. And so the family caregivers are the people who are holding back that tide. They are the the dam, (laughs) you know, and we don't want to break that dike. The average family caregiver spends about $7,000 yearly for expenses related to their caregiving, according to AARP's most recent estimates. Those costs are slightly higher when the care recipient is over the age of 50. Everyone would want to sacrifice for their own families, but there's a breaking point on that. And if in the end people are spending so much money on caring for their family members, then in the end they're not caring for themselves. And it's not just about the direct expenses associated with being a caregiver. The indirect costs can take a toll, too, especially in areas that matter as people age. In the end, they're not saving for their own retirement. Or if they are, maybe they're taking time off from work for a year, two years, three years to do that care. And then what happens? They've lost those earning potential years. They've probably move themselves out of the career ladder that they they might have been. So there's a lot of sacrifice going on with this. And so we've got to figure out a way to help. Answers. That's what Jeffrey had been hoping for, which is why he found the roundtable a little disappointing. He told me so when we left the event and sat down at a cafe. It was a little noisy because of the midday lunch rush. What did you think about everything you heard? Nobody is really looking at what I call the nuts and bolts of a caregiver situation. You know, it's all well and good to talk about, you know, policy and programs and things like that. But on a day-to-day basis, do they really help the people that they want to help? It isn't entirely clear what that help would look like. The financial reality for caregivers is often complex. So during that first visit with Martha and Jeffrey on Long Island, I wanted to get a sense of how exactly they get by. Okay, so now walk me through the expenses. Okay. We're poor, poor, Martha chimed in (laughs) as Jeffrey uh, looked at a little notepad where he tallied up all the household expenses from the past month. We have the electric bill, which is about 215. The gas bill, which is 171. We have um, the cell phone bill, which is 32. The cable slash internet slash phone bill is 215 a month. Jeffrey's list goes on to mention almost $500 spent on groceries. That includes money for supplies not covered by Martha's Medicare or supplemental insurance, even though they're for issues related to her multiple sclerosis. For example, her, um, her incontinence supplies, her diapers, the pads, that all comes out of the grocery money. All told, the Levy's expenses are a little more than $2,900 a month. But disability benefits give them almost $3,500 a month, too. So things shouldn't be that tight, except... Out of that also has to come money for property taxes. That's the big whammy for the Levies. Property taxes run them $7,000 a year. Each month they try to put away $600 to go towards that. 
But $600 is essentially the same amount that's left over after they pay all their bills, meaning there isn't much wiggle room for emergencies or other things that may come up. So what we wind up doing, and we've been doing it for years, unfortunately, is dipping into our retirement savings. And we've just about pretty well exhausted almost all of that. Throw in something unexpected, like that furnace that's on the fritz. We'll have to wait and see about that. But in the meantime, we've got the quartz heater. It's not supposed to be as cold as it was these last few days, so maybe we'll catch a break somewhere along the line. So now you know the answer to that tough question the Levies are facing. What's it worth to be warm? Well, more than this family can afford. So the Levies aren't in a great financial position, but this isn't something that happened overnight. Like many people who are forced into a caregiving relationship, Jeffrey and Martha never saw their situation coming. They had been college sweethearts, and when they decided to get married in 1980, their biggest concern wasn't battling an illness. It was getting their families on board with their relationship. The day I got married, before, just before we walked out the door, my mother said to me, don't ever think that I'm going to forget what you did to me. Jeffrey, who was brought up in a pretty observant Jewish household, was marrying Martha, who was raised Catholic. An awful thing to do to, to some people. I didn't care one way or the other. And neither did Martha. The Levies had their wedding, went on to buy their home a few years later, and started working towards the kinds of goals typical young couples have. We were going to live a long life together. We would both have, you know, jobs that we, we, we could enjoy. You know, we could go on vacations, and, you know, we'd live a, a long and, and happy life together, and that would be, you know, the end of it. But then Martha got sick. After the initial shock, she realized that she simply had to adjust to her new reality. And it was just something you sat there and you dealt with it. And I know everybody kept saying, you'll never get better, which I still will hold to. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody's going to get better. You just have to be able to deal with it. But at first, doing that wasn't very easy. The Levies say they got a lot of conflicting advice about treatment options. They had to develop thick skin as they haggled with doctors and insurance companies. And then there was how the illness affected their personal lives. You know, you can only be prepared for so much of those changes. One thing Jeffrey didn't know to look out for after Martha got sick was how quickly finances could become an issue. Over the years, as she spent more and more time at home, she developed a habit of buying things from QVC, the TV shopping channel. And unfortunately, that got us into a lot, a lot of trouble because she was very good at that. So how, how much credit card debt did you rack up, Martha? I won't say. He keeps saying it was, it was too much money. Though she wouldn't say, Jeffrey did. Around $15,000 on her credit cards. As the bills grew, Jeffrey says it was tough learning how to be the bad guy who would say no to Martha's shopping. Plus, he felt like there was a psychological component to things. Most people with a handicap, even if they don't really realize it, uh, they kind of get a negative feeling about themselves as a as a byproduct. They can't do what they used to be able to do. They can't see the people they used to be able to see. They can't go out, you know, and enjoy the sunshine, as it were. Buying something makes them feel better. I mean, it, it, it improves their self-image. Jeffrey ended up taking away Martha's credit cards, but they're paying off those QVC bills to this day. They're also making payments on an $82,000 home equity loan they got in the 1990s. 
they took that out for home improvements like central air conditioning, which allows them to keep the house between 72 and 74 degrees. Because she functions better at those temperatures. So the central air conditioning becomes a medical necessity. It's not just for convenience. But these things cost money, and paying for them is made more complicated because Jeffrey hasn't worked since 2016. For years before that, he repaired camera equipment at a local shop. His specialty was fixing broken lenses. But with more and more people taking pictures on their cell phones, the business declined and ultimately shut its doors. And thanks to his own health issues, that bad knee, and his age... I kind of figured that I was not an attractive candidate for re-employment. Jeffrey was also afraid any new job wouldn't be as understanding of his caregiving responsibilities as his old job was. If I needed to go come home during the day, I could do it. You know, they, they never batted an eyelash about it. They just understood, you know, it's family first and that was the end of it. But you're not going to find that as a, as a general rule of thumb. So Jeffrey instead applied for disability, which he got. Martha had already been on disability for some time, but the loss of Jeffrey's income meant the household now had anywhere from $500 to $1,000 less to work with each month. That leaves little room for luxury. Jeffrey says he and Martha haven't even purchased clothes in the last three years. I have you know, uh, insulated underwear that has holes in it. So long as they still work, I'll use them. Okay. Uh, I have pants that are, you know, the, the belt loops and the, uh, the crotch areas are wearing out. So long as they still are good, I'll use them. This kind of financial strain means the Levies don't have some necessary protections in place. They don't carry homeowner's insurance, a risky move considering they still owe money on their house. But Jeffrey says no insurance company will cover their home because it needs a new roof and other critical repairs. Now, a new roof on this house is about $25,000. There is no way on God's green earth that that's going to happen anytime soon. In his younger years, Jeffrey used to save money by fixing things around the house. He took pride in doing that because he considers himself a handyman. Now that he's older, though, age has made being a caregiver and keeping things together tougher. Mostly it's, it's physical things. For example, I used to do all the work on the cars. Can't do that anymore. And not necessarily because they're too complicated, but because I can't get under a car. I can't get, you know, I can't reach all the way back and lift something heavy. It's, it just plain isn't going to work. So that affects us from the financial standpoint of now I have to pay somebody to do that. Jeffrey also chooses to skip the expense of having a life insurance policy, which leaves Martha feeling pretty uneasy. It scares me a lot. I have no idea if he died. I have nothing, absolutely nothing. So yeah, it scares me a lot. The whole thing scares me. In spite of all these challenges and anxieties, the Levies don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. They're comfortable in their home. They enjoy having privacy instead of the communal feel that a retirement village would offer. They like the quality of doctors in their area. And as you may have expected, there's a financial consideration too. I would like to at least, you know, get the mortgage down to a more manageable area that if, you know, if and when we sell the house, we would get some money out of it that we could transfer into, you know, pay into going to someplace else because the way it is right now, 
I don't think that the money that we would get if we sold the house, what our share would be, would be enough to get us into another facility. The cost of making sure a loved one can age where they already live, the cost of making modifications to a home, the cost of not being able to work because someone relies on you to survive. All these things add up when you're a caregiver. Jeffrey has known this for years, and it seems now our nation's policymakers are sort of starting to catch on too. On January 1st of this year, a new initiative went into effect in New York. Governor Cuomo trumpets what he calls the nation's strongest, most comprehensive family leave law. What's being hailed as one of the most progressive paid leave policies in the nation. Starting this year, employees can take up to eight weeks off and earn up to 50% of their average weekly wages, up to 600 So this program was really designed for people who need to take some time away from the workforce to care for a loved one. Over time, the program will evolve and employees will be able to take up to 12 weeks off at nearly 70% of their pay. This is the kind of thing that would have been helpful to Jeffrey when he was working. Back then, he rarely ever used his vacation days and really avoided taking time off. I banked that time so that if she got sick, I could take time off without correspondingly losing pay. Beth Finkel, the AARP New York director, who we met earlier at the roundtable, called the program a great step. But it was not designed nor meant to be the be-all and end-all of helping a family caregiver for the long haul. Not designed to solve all of the concerns for the family caregiver. We need to move on with the next set of policies for that. D.C. lawmakers tried to jumpstart that process with the Raise Family Caregivers Act which became law in January. This was a bipartisan piece of legislation first introduced last year, and it was co-sponsored by 15 Congress members from New York. The bill instructs the Department of Health and Human Services to spend the next 18 months developing a national strategy for better supporting caregivers. The end result will be just a report, though, and it remains to be seen what it will even conclude. Still, I wanted to know what sorts of solutions might make the most sense, so I called up... Judy Fader. Hi, Professor Fader. This is Amara. Judy Fader has been studying caregiving and long-term care for about three decades. She's a professor and former dean at Georgetown University's School of Public Policy. In 2016, she was part of a committee that released its own report called Families Caring for an Aging America. The National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine commissioned the study, which dedicated a whole chapter to the economic impact of family caregiving. I think that we take caregivers for granted. Our current policy um, is uh, providing long-term services and support on the cheap. It's a combination of uh, family care, most of which is unpaid, and very low-paid direct care workers. And that's really no way to treat the population who need these services. Fader says family caregivers actually benefit society by providing for free services that Medicare and Medicaid might otherwise have to pay for. So in an ideal world, she would like to see Congress develop a public long-term care insurance system that would take some financial responsibilities away from caregivers. For now, she says paid family leave programs like New York's are helpful, but that not all states have implemented them. 
And she'd also like to see a serious national discussion about how caregiving may affect employment. If you are not able to work, you are, are not making contributions to your own pension, to your own Social Security, particularly. One measure that has been talked about is giving Social Security credits for Uh, for caregiving. The amount of Social Security benefits people receive is based on how much they earn over the course of their working years, so caregivers can be penalized for stepping away from the workforce. The basic idea of a Social Security credit program is that the time caregivers spend tending to a loved one instead of working would still somehow factor into their benefits. Another measure that has been discussed from time to time is a tax credit for caregiving. Here, Fader envisions a progressive, refundable tax credit. That means those on the lower end of the income spectrum would get a bigger benefit and are more likely to actually get cash in their hands from the IRS as opposed to just a reduction in the taxes they owe. Fader would also like to address the kinds of concerns Jeffrey had when he lost his job and was thinking about looking for another. But other measures we explored included also legal protections because there is also a concern that caregivers are discriminated against in employment. I asked Fader how optimistic she is that some of these measures might be implemented now that caregiving is in focus at the federal level. She said at some point, whether it's sooner or later, something is going to have to change. We baby boomers are aging, so there are going to be more of us. Many of us are caregivers. We are not shrinking violets and are likely to um, demand better service. Unless significant change actually happens, though, caregivers like Jeffrey are left to make do. In mid-February, I drove back out to Long Island to see the Levies again. When I got there, Jeffrey and Martha were toying around with a new chair she recently got. How's that? A little better. Martha spends a lot of time sitting in a recliner that moves both back and forth and up and down. The chair's mechanics help lift her up out of it, which she wouldn't be able to do without assistance. Martha had her old chair for about 20 years, and it took a fair amount of abuse from Marble Loaf, the Levy's cat. When I visited the first time, I couldn't help but notice the chair's stuffing pouring out through holes Marble Loaf had scratched open. So you feel good about this chair, Martha? Are you happy? I'm very happy. (laughs) I am very happy, as long as the cat doesn't scratch it. The new chair is a blackish blue, and it looks only slightly used. The original advertisement was for uh, for a dollar. And it's like, well, you know, I'll go look at a chair that costs a dollar. It's like, what have I got to lose? When I started to uh, converse with the uh, owner of the chair, she informed me that, well, you know, the chair really is free because it's got this mechanical uh, problem with it. Jeffrey, being the handyman that he is, got to work. He took apart Martha's old chair and salvaged some wiring and other parts from inside of it. He then swapped those into the new chair and got it working, much to Martha's relief. This is something I needed bad. So the Levies were able to catch a break on the chair. And as it turns out, they were also able to catch a break on the furnace. It's been doing all right. We haven't had uh, another episode since about a week or two after you came. How relieved did that make you feel? Because I know, I think we were saying it was going to be like a $600 repair. Yeah, it was going to, it is going to be a $600 repair. Uh, it, it isn't a relief. It's just a matter of, okay, now I've at least got more time to deal with the situation. It's not something that, you know, I know will result in pipes bursting in the house or either of us getting, you know, bone, bone chilled cold or anything like that. 
But as you may have guessed, when it comes to money in the Levy household, few things are ever straightforward. See, this was originally much looser. So what they had to do first is they had to take the sink off the wall. That's right. In the time since I first visited the Levy's, bathroom sink repairs they had put off for years finally became urgent. Fix the bracket that was here and then remap the sink. Jeffrey showed me work that recently got done to essentially reattach the sink to the tiled bathroom wall. That was $869. And so it's kind of fortunate because the money that you were going to spend on the furnace, you were able to kind of spend on the... Yeah. Which one takes the highest precedence? Whichever one is in most need at the time. And that's how we do things. Not the greatest idea in the world, but it's, it is what has to be done. Jeffrey knows that as he and Martha get older, there will be even more financial challenges and surprises. But he says he tries not to worry too much about the future. Time and experience have taught him well. When it comes to the conundrums of caregiving, often nothing is guaranteed. And there are no easy answers. Amara Mokwe is a graduate of the Columbia Journalism School. Amara, why were you interested in reporting on aging? So right when we were starting this project in the fall and we were thinking about what specific topic we wanted to focus on, my father actually got into a car accident. He's in his late 60s and he ended up being okay but he did spend some time in the hospital and going there and seeing him lying in a hospital bed looking feeble and looking very much his age was scary and it was also a wake-up call at that moment i realized that we my family had never really talked about what would happen if somebody got seriously injured or became sick. I had never discussed anything like that with my parents. And my siblings and I hadn't thought about it either, which one of us might care for one of our parents if needed. And just going through that experience really made me think about how we could be better prepared. And I imagine that probably a lot of people don't think about potentially becoming a caregiver and what they would do and how they would afford it. And so I followed that instinct and started talking to people, and I found out that it's true. A lot of people aren't prepared, and that's why so many caregivers in America end up finding themselves in a financial pinch and an emotional pinch. Gray Area is produced at the Columbia Journalism School and edited by me. The rest of the staff includes Steph Beckett, Jennifer Siegel, and Sarah Wyman. Special thanks to Jeffrey and Martha Levy and Rose Chang for sharing their stories. Also to Beth Finkel, Judy Fader, Maggie Ornstein, Laura Eric, Robin Fenley, Jordana Weber, Maria Salales, Corey Carl, and Adina Siegel for their expertise. Special thanks to my colleagues at Columbia, Paula Spann, and Dory Block. To find out more about our project and listen to more episodes, visit us on the web at grayareapodcast.nyc. Follow us on Twitter at grayareany. I'm Daniel Alarcón. Thanks for listening.